Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. How many of you are coming to camp for the first time? Stand up. First time campers. Wait, 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 wait. Shh, shh, shh. First time campers, I want to see you stand up. Let me see you. Any more? Everybody else? Everybody else? Everybody else? Yeah, buddy! All right. So allow me, allow me to catch up, those of you who have never come to camp. Every day is crazy, all right? All day, every day at camp is crazy. But we have this tradition at Citizens Camp, and this is kind of what makes a Citizens Camp a Citizens Camp. Every night, and it actually starts earlier than that, because like all... All week, you could say, these teams are working on a craft. They're working on something beautiful. Many people call it art. Others call it poetry. But every team, you are working on your team chant. All day. Every day. And the reason why you are working on it is because at the end of the camp... On the final night, in front of a blazing bonfire with every other person in the amphitheater, you get to present your chant. And what you're doing in your chant, I really thought about it. I was like, what's going on in team chants? Why do we do that? And here's like, there's no other way to put it. I wrote it down for you. Here's the the goal of of a camp chant. To draw positive attention to something, to bring all eyes to behold and admire. The only reason why they stood up there and said the word basketball 47 and a half times, and I counted the half because they only spelled B-A-S-K-E-T all day. That's only basket. So we got to like, <laughs> there was some spell check in there, huh? Bummer. But, all oh yeah, look at you, I see you, Max. Okay, brush it off, brush it off, right? Hey. The reason why they chanted the name basketball 47 and a half times is because they wanted to draw all of the positive attention to team They wanted everybody else to behold team They wanted everybody not just to behold it, they wanted them to admire team You get the idea? So not only are we doing chants, not only are we doing skits and songs and hang around for late night today, we're actually going to scroll through and play the rest of the, ca- the chants from that winter camp. The reason why they were doing that is to draw attention to the team. They didn't only do chants though. If you come to camp, you'll notice. And uh, I'm sure you've seen pictures and you may be the person in the picture. But everybody, they're even wearing colors. Like we have a day called um, Color Wars where like there will be grown people wearing a complete onesie from head to toe, a Morphe suit of their team color. Not because orange is their favorite color, not because blue is their favorite color, but because they're trying to draw all of the positive attention and cause others to behold. Look at my team. Look at our flag. Look at our family. So I was thinking about this. I go, man, that's so cool. 
I love that tradition. I think we got to keep that. We're definitely going to do it again. And as I was thinking through that definition, I go, you know what that's kind of like? That reminds me of another word that has the exact same definition as our camp chants. There's another word out there that we use. We use it in churches. We use it all, like, not in non-churches. But there's a word that has the exact same definition as this. And the word is to glorify. To glorify something literally means to draw positive attention to something. To bring all eyes to behold and admire it. And so I was thinking, team basketball, they are glorifying team basketball. Team Scotland is glorifying team Scotland. Team Ireland for king and country are glorifying team God and glory. You're right. That's much more Christian. And so the question I have for you tonight is not with your song, not with your chant, not with your team colors and not with your flag, but with your life, what are you glorifying? With the, entire, with the entirety of your existence, what are you causing everyone else in your life to look at? What are you calling people with your life to say, look at this, behold it, and it is beautiful. What is the thing in your life? Who is the one in your life that you want to draw all of the positive attention to? Because it's the only thing worth beholding. It's the only thing that's actually beautiful. And so for those of you who have been with us in our clean series, we've gone through this story for the last few weeks. We've talked about this man named David. And he was a king, right? And everybody loved David. He was really popular. He was like, you know, to this day, I mean, he's the best king in all of Israel's history. And so everybody loved him because he, was, he brought peace into the empire. Everybody knew him for David and Goliath. You guys know David and Goliath, right? Dude, I'm telling you, that was a great story. And so the man who wrote David and Goliath with his life, something happened. He wrote a sequel, and it wasn't as flattering. And he lived out this scene. It wasn't David and Goliath, it was David and Bathsheba. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've rehearsed how this man lusted after another woman's wife, another man's wife. He slept with her. She got pregnant. Uh-oh. Her husband was away at war, and he says, I think I can cover this up. So he calls the husband and says, hey, take a break from war, all that fighting. <laughs> just come on, take a break. Let's have some dinner, relax, go home, and uh, just hang out with your wife, and then go back to war in the morning. He's like, thanks, king, appreciate it. Next morning, David wakes up, oh, looks out his window, and the man never left the courtyard. He goes, what? He didn't go home? Get up here. Calls him up here, right? Uriah, Uriah, my friend, why did you not go home? Your wife was there waiting for you. And he goes, king, how can I possibly go home and be with my wife right now and enjoy the comforts of home when the rest of my brothers are out in battle? And every man just went, that's a man, right? For the brotherhood, baby. And David's like, oh, shoot, it didn't work. Let's try it again. This time I'm going to get him blasted drunk and then send him home so he's feeding him and he's like giving him more drinks he's like thor make, makes thor look like a baby he's like another he's just getting smashed right and he goes hey you're right you're right could like barely walk at this point you know and he's like you're right now why don't you go home he's like yeah king i'll go home you know and he and he sends him home and he wakes up in the morning and he looks out his window and guess who's sl- sleeping in the courtyard uriah 
He didn't go home. Because even in his drunken stupor, he still had more morals than David did when he was sober. And so he goes, you know what? This guy is just too righteous. I'm not going to be able to cover up this, this pregnancy. So he gives him a letter. And he says, all right, back off to war. And oh, by the way, give this to your general. And you guys remember what was in the letter? His death warrant. And so Uriah shows up to battle. He goes, hey, I'm back for war. By the way, king wanted you to have this letter. And he goes off and he gets back in his bunk and the general opens it and it says, put Uriah at the, the hardest part of the battle and when things get really tough, retreat and leave him there and abandon him so he can die. He can't cover up the pregnancy, so he says, I'm going to murder him. And so the king literally murdered the, the woman's husband. She finds out. She finds out her husband's dead. What does David do? Does he send some flowers and an apology? He says, no. He goes and takes her to live in his castle. Stole the man's wife. It gets worse. He becomes a hypocrite because now Nathan the prophet shows up, right? And Nathan is about to expose his sin. And so Nathan tells him this whole story about a man who robbed another man. And David says, he should die. And Nathan says, you're the man. And he goes, I'm a hypocrite. And so in week one, we saw that when David's sin was brought into the light, when he was exposed, he did the only thing that any of us can do. He confessed. He acknowledged, this is mine. He admitted, God, you're right. And he accepted the depth of his sin. He goes, it's more than this problem. It's a this problem. And so we saw that he confessed. He came clean. In week two, we saw what happens when the sin that you confess collides with God. And most of us would expect a wreck. Most of us would expect that if our sin was going to collide with God, if our sin was going to be brought before his face, that that would be a car wreck that we would never walk away from. And we saw the opposite. That when our confessed sin collides with who God is and his grace and mercy, that is something beautiful happens. We receive purity and perspective and his presence and a new heart. And so tonight, for the final part of this psalm, we're going to ask you and we're going to ask David, what are you glorifying? What are you glorifying? And David, after experiencing the, the being exposed, after experiencing this collision, he now learns. And my hope tonight is that you learn this is that God makes you clean for his glory. After experiencing this confession and the emotion that has come with that and the deep repentance, in this last movement, he's going to come to the realization, God, you make me clean for your glory. Students, God makes you clean for his glory. For his glory. And so we begin for the next few moments, the final section of Psalm 51. You guys ready for clean? Here we go. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David has experienced salvation, and there's only one thing he can do. He's taking the show on the road. David is going on tour with this good news. Look what he says. He goes, God, you're going to save me. You're going to make me clean. Then I'm going to teach. 
God, you're going to give me a new heart. You're going to make me pure. You're going to make me clean. Then my tongue will sing aloud. Then my mouth will declare your praise. God, you have done something to me and others need to know. This is why I love hanging out with brand new Christians. Right? I love hanging out with people who have just been saved by Jesus because they do this instinctually. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you in this room have started following Jesus within the last 12 months? I'm curious. Anybody in the last year? Hands high. Can I see one? I see you. Boom, 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 boom. Great. You know who I think of? He's not here. I think of Colton Shackelford, right? Not uh, Colton Carroll, right? I think of Roly. Do you guys remember Austin Roly when he got saved a few years ago at camp? These are the kinds of people that they experience this and they take it on the road. They're going on tour. They're going, everybody, I got to tell you. And like Austin literally cannot even walk through his high school without people going, uh-oh. He's going to tell us about the Jesus thing again. Of course I'm going to tell you because this is the most wonderful thing that has happened to me. If you're a new Christian, you can learn a lot from us veterans, right? I mean, there's a lot you can learn. It's called discipleship. But I think that the rest of us can learn a lot from you as well. Because you know what happens when you, how many of you have been a Christian for longer than 12 months? Yeah, the rest of us. And you know what happens when we've been a Christian for that long? We become contained. Reserved. We, we got to no, we got to be more dignified, more mature, less excitable. And you know what? Hogwash. Because when Jesus saves us, it's worthy of taking that on the road. It's worthy to go on tour and to sing his praises. And so we can learn that from people in our community that are new to the faith. We can learn that from people who are on fire and excited and they're always talking about it. So that's David. He's been made clean. He's experienced the salvation of God. And look at the result of the tour, okay? Because the result of what he's doing is nothing less than completely transformational. Look what happens. I'm going to teach. I'm going to sing. And then sinners will return to you. Sinners will return to you. There are other people, this is David talking, there are other people who are just like me. There are other people who are just like you, who lusted, who committed adultery, who murdered, who lied, who are hypocrites, who try to cover up their sin, who are hiding. Other people just like me, they will hear how you've been made clean, and then they're going to come and want that for themselves. And so David is singing about the mercies of God. And as a result, other people, sinners like himself, they're going to hear that and go, I want that too. That's happened to you. I want that too. Friends, you have to understand there are people in your life who they think that if who they really are, if their sin and their junk were to collide with God, they think they're going to be wrecked. But your story proves differently. Dude, you want, Anna, you want me to come to church with you? Oh my gosh. If I came into that church building, I'd be struck by lightning. Do you know that? Danae, stop it. Oh my gosh, you're such a good dude. You want me to come to church with you? If I walked into that building, woof, Actually, no, it's not true. Because look what happened to me. I brought my sin before God and I was met with nothing but grace. 
I brought my junk before God and I was met with nothing but purity and love and mercy and forgiveness. Students, you are in, and you are in a culture and in a world, you are in a generation who thinks that if they were truly exposed, if they were truly found out and God saw them, they'd be done. But your story shows them differently. And as a result of communicating your story, sinners can return to God. And what we learn from the students is that what God has done to you isn't just for you. You guys all have a story. All of you have a story of how you've been baptized, how you've been forgiven, how you've been brought into community. Some of you are still early in the journey. And just the fact that you're here tonight is a huge part of your story. You're like, dude, I had no idea how I found this youth group because six months ago I was like dying. This is part of your story. But you need to understand this. What God has done to you isn't just for you. Your story wasn't just for you. Your salvation experience wasn't just for you. It was about bringing others to the knowledge of who Jesus is. What God has done to you was so that so others can come to know who Jesus is and how beautiful he is. Friend, go back to the chance, right? Your salvation story is a megaphone that is calling everybody to to hear and to behold. And you're drawing attention to, look how great Jesus is. Look what he's done in my life. Everybody, eyes up here. Everybody, listen to this. Look at who I am and let the entirety of my being draw your eyes to him. What God has done for you isn't, what God has done to you isn't just for you. And when you start to understand that, you start to live a Philippians 1.20 life. Philippians 1.20, it says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. No, I don't want that. But rather, that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Christ will be honored. Christ will be glorified. Christ will be seen. Whether I'm alive or dead, we can get to that point, friends, that we want to glorify God. We want to be a megaphone for who he is, so much so that it doesn't matter what day we're living, it doesn't matter what day we're dying, because both of those events will cause people to go, dang, look how good God is. Have you ever been to a Philippians 120 funeral? You know what that is? That's not like a thing. You're like, I've never heard of that. Me neither. I just made it up. But you get the idea. A Philippians 1.20 funeral. You go to a funeral. And even while the dude is sitting in his box, the guy is still like this. You know what I'm saying? It's like the dude is dead. He can't say anything. And yet his life is still. Even at the guy's funeral. The way people share about him. The stories that are told about him, the way that he died with dignity, the way that he lived his life, the legacy that he left. It's as if he understood what God has done to you wasn't just for you. Students, God has made you clean for his glory. And that's how David lived. David's come a long way, huh? David has come a long way from the scoundrel the wife stealer, the murderer, the hypocrite. He's come a long way from those verses 
to the point of declaring and singing God's praise and drawing people to see God. How did he get there? How could he get from being David and Bathsheba to being a Philippians 120 kind of man? You know how he got there? Because he went through a process. And in these last few verses, he explains the process. And as you read these last few verses, I want you to see, you're like, dude, there's no way. There's no way I can get here. There's no way. You don't know the sin that I'm in. You don't know the sin that I was in last night. You don't even know where I'm coming from. You don't even know how I'm getting to this camp. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because God, as he works on your story, this is still his intention. He's made you clean for his glory. And even if you go, there's no way I can ever glorify God. There's no way that my life can be a life that makes people see the goodness of God. You're wrong. And I want to give you hope and encouragement that every single one of you in here can live such a life. If you go through this process, and I'm going to show you the process here in the last few verses. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Last verse. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Notice what David says here, right? He couldn't make it up to God. A lot of us, we find ourselves at this point, we find ourselves exposed in our sin, we feel how little we are, and like David, we go, you know, maybe I can make it up to God. He can't make it up to God, right? He could have tried to give sacrifices. He could have tried to give burnt offerings, which are the most expensive type of offerings, you know? You got little, you got Daisy the cow over here. You go, you know what, Lord, I give you a little bit of my sacrifice. I cut off the leg. Here you go. Burn sacrifice. Like, nah, God, take the whole thing. And that's what we do, right? We find ourselves in sin. We catch ourselves back into our addictive patterns. And we go, all right, no, no, God. God, ah, I got it. I'm on, I'm on. I really thought I got shot there. I was like, there's someone in the audience. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Let's go, right? And so, and so, he's there and he says, you know what? He, he, I'll, just, I'll just do a lot for you. God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I messed up, but tell you what? I'll read my Bible. God, I'm going to read my Bible for the next 10 days. God, I'll tell you what? I'm going to pray 17 times now, you know, at the same time. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go to youth group and I'm, I'm going to go to camp. And God, this is never going to happen again. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And what are we doing? What are you doing when you do that? You're trying to make it up. You're trying to pay God back. And David, he's recognizing right off the bat, dude, there's no chance for me to get from here to there by trying to make it up for God. You know why? Because it says, you will not delight in it. You will not be pleased by these offerings. Even expensive burnt offerings. You're not going to delight in that. God's not delighted in that. You know why, students? You know why he doesn't care how much you do to make up for it? Because God wants our hearts before our hands. 
God wants your heart. He wants what's in here before he wants what's in here. And so when we're here trying to make it up to God, we're like, God, here you go. Here, I'll give you this. Here's what I can do. And he goes, why would I want your sacrifices when in your heart you're still sinning? Why would I want your sacrifices when your heart is still far from me and you're hiding and you're not even right with me? You think you can buy me off? Knock that out of your hand. I want what's in here. Like he says, He says, what God wants, the things that he wants are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. What does that mean? To have a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, to be humble and sorry for your sin. We're here. And we go, no, no, God, I'll do this. God, look, I'll give you this. God, I'll give you this. He goes, I don't want that. I don't want what's in your hand. I want what's in your heart, and I want your heart to be sorry. I want your heart to be broken. I want, instead of a hard heart, I want a soft heart. And you know how you can tell if you have a soft heart, right? You guys know how you can tell if you have a soft heart, right? Remember? It's in your eyebrows. To have a broken and contrite heart, somebody's like, but I just promised it was a bad wax. I'm not surprised, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the face you make. When like somebody calls you on your sin and your eyebrows go, no, 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 you got no, 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 you don't understand, you don't understand, and we justify, and we explain away, and we and we, do, and we get defensive. No, no, you don't understand. No, that's not true. And then the moment where we just go, that's a broken and contrite heart. The eyebrows come low. You're right. You're right. Next time your parents call you out on something, watch your eyebrows. If you really want to get dangerous, ask them to record you and then play the tape back. Sarah, you didn't clean your room. No, I was going to. You're right, Dad. I'm sorry. That's what God wants. He wants a broken and contrite heart. He's telling David, I want you and I want your community to be people that when you sin, you're soft. That when you sin, you're quick to respond and go, God, you're right. I admit it. That when you're called out on your sin, you're not trying to explain or justify or get defensive because how are you going to change God's mind, right? No, God, you don't understand what had happened. Was God's like, oh, is that what happened? I must have been dozing off or something. What? No. So God wants a broken and contrite heart. He wants a heart that is soft, a heart that responds when pricked. This reminds me of a story where, you know, the, the Pharisees are hanging out and, and Jesus comes through town and he's like, he's looking through the crowd and he goes, I'm looking for a disciple, right? He's putting together a squad, not an all-star team, trust me, because Jesus doesn't pick all-stars. He makes all-stars. What? Write that down, Maddie. Like literally, write it down, please. Thank you. Appreciate that. And so he's putting together a squad. It's not an all-star squad, but he's looking around and he finds this dude named Matthew. He's a tax collector. You guys remember that story? We went through this several months ago and he picks Matthew to follow him. And all the Pharisees, what do they do? They're like, they play rock, paper, scissors? No! <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, why are they playing? I was like, oh, they're angry. You'll get that later. Go back and watch the tape, Facebook Live. 
And so, he's tell- and so he picks Matthew, and all the Pharisees are like, rock, paper, boo, that's not a good pick, Jesus. We give so much more than him. Don't you know how much we do? We give all the sacrifices, and we give all the money, and we do all this, and look what's in our hand. And he goes, I don't really care what's in your hand. He says, go and learn what this means. He says to them, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. I'm not choosing Matthew because what's in his hand. I'm choosing Matthew because what's in his heart. And what's in his heart is a broken and contrite spirit. I'm going to show him mercy. I'm going to give him grace. That's what I'm calling for. He doesn't want what's in our hands before he has our hearts. So he calls Matthew. He calls David. And then look what, this is interesting. David prays this quick prayer here. I was talking to Court earlier. I go, isn't it funny? Sometimes you're reading a psalm and you're like, mm, yeah, it's my jam. And then you get to like the last few verses and you're like, skirt. What about the walls? <laughs> right? Look what he says. It's so funny. He just does, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. You got a hole in your wall, bro? You're talking about walls now? I thought we were talking about hearts. What's going on here? Think about the context. He's saying, God, you want us to be broken. You want us to be humble. Help us be that. Sam, he's asking him for the walls, not for his heart. No, no, you've got to understand the context. The walls coming down outside of Jerusalem, God said that's what would happen if they remained persistent in their sin. You go back and you read the blessings and the cursings of the law. My tribes people, where my middle schoolers at, you know this. You went through this, right? If you persist in your sin, you're going to be overrun you follow me you'll be secure and so he's saying god keep us secure keep us having a heart that results in you keeping us secure so this is him asking for help you can ask for help you can ask god to give you a soft heart because i'm going to be honest if you're a teenager you have a decisive disadvantage for having a soft heart because there's this thing going on inside of your brain and it's this little i know everything gland it's crazy I remember, I still have mine. It's shrinking though. Life is doing a number on it. But there's this thing inside it that goes, but I know everything. I'm fine. I can do it. I know. You know I'm 17, don't you? (laughs) I shouldn't have said that because now you think I'm on your parents' side, which I am. But um, (laughs) it's crazy. And so you have this disadvantage because you want to fit. And you can ask God, Lord, help me with that. Help me to have a soft heart. Help me to be responsive. Help me to respond rightly when I'm exposed. And so David, he was over here. He went through this process and now he comes to the point where he's singing praise. Look at the final verse. He says, then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar." Lord, once I'm right in here, once my heart is where it should be, then I will worship you. Then I will glorify you. Then I will sing your praises. Then, once my heart is made right, then I will call other people to see how good you are. Students, when your heart is right, then you can offer God what's called right sacrifices. You will delight in right sacrifice and burnt offerings. They're right because they're coming from a heart that is right. Then you can bring God the worship of your hands and of your mouths and of your feet. 
then you can glorify him. Because at the end of the day, you have to remember that God made you clean for his glory. God made you clean for his glory. And so what are you glorifying with your life, students? As you go to camp this weekend, ask yourself that question. What am I drawing all of the attention to with my life? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you communicate to us, God, that we have your, the, the Bible to know things about you, to know who you are. And Lord, I pray for these students. Lord, some people are here and they don't know you. They, they go, man, I'm just checking it out. Others here love you. Others here are going away to college um, totally in love with you, Lord. So no matter where they are on their journey in school or in their walk with you, God, I pray that you would give them truth tonight, Lord. I pray that you would give them a big picture that says, this is why I was created. This is why God is intervening in my story. This is why God is writing a brand new story, because he wants my life to glorify him. Lord, please do that, I pray, by your great mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.